Welcome to the Apollos Dark Hearts, a podcast set in rural West Virginia about the things that we may not always understand. I'm your host, John Atkins. Let's get down to it. Deep hollows and dark hearts, empty valleys full of bitten arms. Deep hollows and dark hearts bring us together and tear us apart. Welcome back, everyone. We thank you for sticking with us through our little winter break and having the patience to see us through our triumphant return. Uh, We ask that you head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review if you have not done so. And uh, help us spread the word about the show to everyone you know. We would love to see our audience grow far beyond the hollers here in southern West Virginia, and we can't do that without all of you. And now, on with tonight's program. What do you do when your nightmares become your reality? Do you try to ignore the terrors and pray that if you refuse to acknowledge them, they will simply go away? Or do you stare them down headlong, bravely playing chicken with the proverbial train? We all react differently to the things we can't explain, but once you've seen something that should not exist, your world will never be the same. Tonight, we reunite with our reporter friend Clarence as he attempts to unravel the mystery behind what he has witnessed. This is part two of Mud Mountain. My name is Clarence Rice, and I'm an investigative reporter for the Coalfield Chronicler. I've always been skeptical of the paranormal, but... After what I experienced last week, I've come to accept the fact that there are things out there that we don't completely understand. Where I come from, we have this local legend of a headless horseman, a vengeful spirit searching for something he lost and killing those poor fools unfortunate enough to cross his path. Even as a kid, I'd never put any stock into those stories. But when a body turned up without a head in a place where that phantom rider haunts, I went out to dispel the myth, only to have it appear before my very eyes. Order number 73, Americana and a blueberry muffin. Yep, that's me. Thank you. Thanks for coming out, Morton. Yeah, well, who wouldn't answer the phone while they're sleeping on a work night and get up, get dressed, and drive to McDonald's to talk to a hysterical person? I'm not hysterical. At least, I'm not anymore. I'm calm. I'm collected. I'm composed. I saw something that defies all reason and logic, had an appropriate response, and now I'm trying to piece together what I saw reasonably and logically. Yeah? Well, what did you see? Maybe I should just play this for you. Who's there? I'm unarmed. I'm a reporter. Just show yourself. This isn't funny. You're not going to scare me off. 
I don't believe in ghosts. Jesus Christ. Well, I'll be damned. Too bad you didn't get it on video. Yeah, well, I work for the old media. Video doesn't do any good for the paper. No, but it sure would help in this case. What did it look like? Exactly how you've imagined it all these years. Exactly as it's been told and described for decades. He just looks like a farmer from a hundred years ago on the back of an undead horse. He had a uh, fiddle in one hand, reins in the other, with an axe on his hip. Did he see you? He doesn't have a head or eyes for that matter, but I felt like, I, I felt like he could tell I was there. He could sense my presence somehow, but he just galloped by me and disappeared. Well, I mean, maybe he didn't register you as a threat. Maybe. Maybe it was a warning. Are you going back? Tonight? Christ, no. I'm going home and I'm going to bed. I have a full day ahead of me tomorrow. Oh yeah? Such as? Well, if the horseman is real, then the rest of the story has to be. I need to find out who he is and who killed him. How far back you thinking? 1920s? At least. I'm going to pour through old records in the Chronicler and see if I can dig up anything. I'll pull the files on homicides for that decade and have them sent to your office in the morning. I appreciate it. I'll let you go. I'm gonna go home, brew some chamomile tea, and try to get some sleep. Be careful out there, Rice. Sleep eluded me most of the night. I finally managed to get about hour, hour and a half before my alarm went off the next morning. I took a hot shower, filled a thermos with strong black coffee, and drove to the office of the Coldfield Chronicler, the voice of Southern West Virginia. My boss, Nancy, editor-in-chief, long since learned to let me go about my own business without any interference. I'm not a difficult person to work with, but I am increasingly set in my ways. It comes from years of honing your craft. Or, at least that's what I've managed to convince myself over the years. Come in. Good morning, Clarence. Morning, Nancy. I assume you're working on a piece about that decapitation at Mud River. Indeed I am. There's more to this story than what's on the surface. I'm gonna need some time to do some research. If anything comes up, just pass it to Daryl. He can handle it. Where are you gonna be? We still have that microfiche reader in storage. Story goes that deep, huh? I think so. Yeah, the filming machine should both be down in the basement. How long do you think you'll need? Depends on what I'm able to dig up. Could be a couple of hours, maybe longer. Did we ever bring anyone in to organize that mess? <laughs> and who would pay them? You? Well, it could take a little longer then. Do what you gotta do. Get the story to me by Friday. Daryl will pick up your slack, but I need you this weekend. For what? Eh, some puff piece interview. Some guy running for House of Delegates. He's making a generous donation to the paper for the interview. So I told him I'd give him my best. I'm flattered. Don't be. Maggie is on vacation until Monday, so I had to settle for you. Lucky me. His team will be emailing you the approved question list later today. Good luck with your story. Just make sure you take the time to go over that email. You got it. Thanks, Nancy.
April 1923, Flood Carries Away Family. July 1923, House Fire Claims 3. October 1923, Family Lost to Influenza. Hmm. The room darkened. I looked up to see some type of large shadow pass by the window. I shrugged it off as people passed through the alley outside the window all the time. And I went back to the microfiche. Then I heard a buzz. A low droning sound that started small like a fly, but grew in volume and intensity. It was slow at first, but picked up speed and volume to the point that the sound became deafening. I covered my ears and shut my eyes and the sound just stopped. But when I opened my eyes again, the storage room of the chronicler was gone. I felt the panic to begin to arise in me. Instead, I inhaled deep and took stock of my surroundings. What I saw was hazy, almost as if I were trying to look through a sheet of plastic. I could make out general shapes, but there was no details. I seemed to be outside, in, in the woods perhaps, and I could make out figures of what I assumed to be people ahead of me. Then there was an explosion. I felt the ground shake beneath me, and I could see the flames in the hazy distance along with black smoke. The droning returned and my vision went black. Special delivery. Deputy. Any luck? I was back at the Chronicler as though I had never left. I was confused, but I tried to shake it off. Not yet. A lot of natural disasters, no decapitation. That's what I was afraid of. I looked through a lot of these files myself and didn't turn up anything close. There has to be something. Somewhere. A person doesn't get decapitated without someone else hearing about it. You know, there's this guy up Mud River. Lived there his whole life. Eccentric fella. A friend of yours? Well, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say friend. I've arrested a fellow a couple times, you know, for petty stuff. Vandalism, breaking and entering. Just being a general nuisance. Nothing dangerous, though. Sounds implicitly like the kind of person I tend to avoid. Well, the thing is, he's something of an amateur archivist and a collector. What kind of collector? Oddities, I guess. Look, if anyone on that hollow is going to know for sure, this guy's going to know who the horseman is. Alright, who is this guy? Excuse me, sir. I'm looking for Mr. Kevin Mead. You a process server? No, sir. You with Weber Mining? I already told them I ain't selling. No, sir. I'm with the co You ain't with Mosley Law Group, are you? I done told them I'm not interested. No. I'm Clarence Rice with the Coalfield Chronicler. Deputy Morton sent me. All right. He told me you'd be stopping by. What can I do for you, Rice? Well, Mr. Mead, I was Don't start with that Mr. shit. Call me Kevin. Alright, Kevin. I need your help on the story I'm working on. Well, come on in the house and we'll talk about it. I'm dying here. You like sweet tea? Sure, I could use a glass. (laughs) 
Go ahead and have a seat there on the couch. You can move those books to the coffee table. I'll get that tea. I looked around the small cramped living room in wonder. Weapons hung from racks all around the room, from handguns and shotguns to knives, swords, and even spears. Bags of rock salt were stacked in one corner. A coat rack by the door was filled with not coats, but with all sorts of rosaries, beads, and necklaces. They all seemed to be from different faiths around the world. Some sported the Star of David, some with the crest and the Star of Islam, Italian Yang, and a, the Dharma Wheel of Buddhism, just to name a few. The books stacked on the couch were curious in their own right, ranging from a collection of the Apocrypha, the Key of Solomon, Monstrum Liber, Advanced Quantum Mechanics, various mangas, Shams al-Ma'arif, and the Book of the Law. I picked them up one at a time, examining the covers, and placed them in a neat stack on the floor next to the couch. The coffee table was covered in loose papers and manila folders. And the walls, in addition to weapons, were lined with filing cabinets, many with open drawers and display cases filled with statues of all shapes and sizes. A small television sat on top of one cabinet, its volume muted, but the bright colors and flashing images of high-energy anime displayed on the screen. I picked up a small black leather-bound book, completely adorned, bearing no title, images, or names. Inside, the pages were illegible. Handwritten in a sort of shorthand I couldn't decipher offhand, interspersed with phrases of Latin and Aramaic, along with drawings of strange symbols throughout. I didn't have any glasses clean, so I put your tea in a coffee cup, Mr... Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Clarence Rice from the Coalfield... The Coalfield Chronicler, right. This tea is, well, different. It's no big secret. I just use stevia instead of sugar. Diabetic. I see. It's really good. This is quite the collection you have here, Mr. Uh, Kevin. It's not a collection so much. It's just stuff I've came across throughout my line of work. And what exactly is your line of work? Eh, I dabble. I do a little mechanic work. I have a small sawmill set up. And I do some freelance work that way. I used to perform exorcisms until the free market pushed me out of that particular endeavor. I brew beer, I do some consulting work, a few other odds and ends. Like I said, I dabble. Uh-huh. Well, that's enough about me and what I do. What is it you need? What is it that I can do for you? Well, Morden said that you were something of an archivist. And judging by the files you keep and... The interest you have, I was hoping that you could help me find some information about a local phenomenon. The horseman. Uh, yeah. How did you know? There's not much that happens on this mountain that I don't hear about, Rice. And a nosy reporter walking away from an encounter with a headless horseman of Mud Mountain, with his head still firmly on his shoulders, is precisely the kind of thing to show up on my radar. So you still believe he's real? Believe? Hell, I know he's real. I seen him with my own eyes. Granted, I didn't ever get the front row view you did. But I've seen that son of a bitch. And how did you know it wasn't just some guy in a costume or something? How did you know, Rice? Was it the fact that he rode by so close you could reach out and touch him? The fact that you could tell it wasn't some trickery or makeup? Or was it the feeling you got as he galloped towards you, chill in your blood and the fear you felt in the marrow of your bones that froze you to the spot? 
Was it the primordial part of you that the civilized world was forced so far down that knows to fear the things we don't understand? The knowledge deep down in the caveman part of your brain that there absolutely are things out there that we cannot and will not ever understand? The horseman is real. You know it. You can deny it, but on a molecular level, you've always known there are things in the heart of the forest and the darkness of night that should not exist. I know, Rice. And now, so do you, beyond the shadow of a doubt. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. So what do we do about it? Well, I've been trying to do research. Trying to find some clue to who the horseman was. I'd assumed whoever he was, he had died about a century ago, but I've been pouring over our records at the Chronicler, and Morton has gone through what they had down at the station, but we can't find anything. I don't know why that's so important to me. Maybe it's the rational, logical part of my brain telling me to try to make sense of something that makes no sense at all. <laughs> You're onto something. You just don't know it. Let me go through my records here, see what I can pull up. I appreciate it. I'm going to step out to my car in the meantime, checking with the office. Go ahead. I'll let you know what I find. I walked out to the car, dialing Nancy's number as I did so. I sat in the front seat of the car while the phone rang, but she didn't answer. I sighed, hung up, slumped back in the seat, put my head back against the headrest, and closed my eyes. Exhaustion gnawed at me. I gave in to it, falling asleep in the front seat of my car. I was in the woods, and it looked familiar. It was dark, the area lit only by moonlight. I heard something behind me, something like a snort. I recognized that sound. I heard it last night. The sound sent chills down my spine. I turned, and there, lit by brilliant moonlight 20 yards away, was the horseman. And though he had no head, I knew he was looking right at me. I knew he sensed me there, and I knew he was not glad to see me. His spectral, undead horse stomped the ground with his front leg, and the fiddle in the horseman's hand transformed into an axe with a puff of dark black smoke. The smoke spread, the tendrils wrapping around the steed's feet as it began to charge towards me. It seemed to be happening in slow motion, the thunder and hoofbeats closing in on me. The horseman swung his axe down right in my neck, but I was unable to move, to run, to even flinch. Rice, wake up. Oh, sorry, I guess I dozed off. How long have I been out here? About an hour. You okay? You look shook. What? Oh, yeah. I just didn't sleep much last night. Were you able to find anything? Not a thing, but I placed a few phone calls. All people from here in the holler. And while every one of them have heard of the horseman, and quite a few say they've seen him, no one seems to know how old the legend is, and no two people describe him the same. Some say he was a revolutionary soldier, some say a frontiersman, some say a Yank or Johnny Reb, some old West gunfighter, and some claim he was a shiner from the Prohibition, like you saw. Me? I never seen him close enough to really tell, but that changes tonight. What happens tonight? You and I are going to go up there and summon him. Our intrepid reporter seems to have made an eccentric new friend, but the answers he seeks elude him still. His dreams and his investigation point back to the mountain, but will he survive another encounter with the horseman? These are questions I cannot answer for you now, but I can tell you that we will see Clarence Rice again. But for now, on to our next story.
curiosity comes naturally to us all. Whether it's the need to know what happens next in our favorite television program that we're currently binging, or the need to know about what secrets lie in the dark around us. Tonight is a night of reunions for us, it seems, as now we join our curious duo of young ghost hunters, Awanita and Miranda, as they investigated a once holy place in Desecrated Grounds. I'm Awanita Lewis, and I've lived next door to Miranda Holt for most of my life. Miranda and I have been best friends for basically our entire lives to the point that we're practically sisters. We've done everything together for as long as we can remember. We just graduated back in May and have decided to take a year off from school to figure out what we want to actually do with our lives. There's so much to consider that it it gets overwhelming. But luckily, We recently started visiting local cemeteries at night as a way to try to blow off a little steam. It started off innocently enough, but like most things, we decided to escalate. Miranda told me a story of a haunted house her grandfather used to tell her, so we decided to go check it out. I don't know if I believe in ghosts or spirits, but I know that we definitely experienced something freaky that night. Something real. That was exhilarating. I know. Did you see Mrs. Hoffman? What do you mean? Of course I saw her. I saw her. I saw the jewelry box get smashed. I saw the writing on the window. I saw the river of blood we just freaking ran through. And we didn't get any of it on camera, did we? Of course not. I smashed the stupid EMF thing against the wall like an idiot. Do you know how much I paid for that thing? That's not what's important right now. I'm just, I'm glad we made it out. Do you want to do it again? Go back there? Not that place, but you want to go somewhere else? I've heard of plenty of other places around here we could check out. Not tonight. Do you think your mom cares if I crash at your place? She's probably already asleep, but she won't care. You stay all the time. We eventually got back to Miranda's house, and I crashed in her bedroom floor. After all the excitement we had gone through that night, we were beyond exhausted. Miranda had set an alarm for 7 a.m., but we slept through it. Nita! Hey, hey, Vi. Hey, hey, Vi. Late. Get out of my room, V. I'm here to see Nita. Are you staying all day? Can you come play with me? I'm not awake yet, Violet. You can come in my room and play dollhouse with me. Or we can do a makeover salon. Or you can play a board game with me. I said get out, V. I'm telling Mom. Mom, Miranda hit me with a pillow and made me get out. What time is it? 9.47. Crap, I gotta go to work. Just call in. Take a day. They have plenty of cashiers without you. I can't just call in, Miranda. This is the third job I've had since graduation. If I lose this job, no one else in the county will hire me. You'll be fine. Just take the day, and if they fire you, you can come work with me. I can't swim, Miranda. What good is a lifeguard who can't swim? You can work the concession booth. Well, are they hiring? My aunt is the supervisor. She'll give you the job. Okay, so what do we do today? Well, we could find another place to go tonight. Do you know of any places? I know about plenty. I'm honestly surprised you haven't heard of any. Well, like I said, my dad wasn't much for ghost stories, and honestly, neither was I. I've never really watched any scary movies either, unless you count the paranormal shows we watch. Uh, no, those don't count. You've never seen any slasher movies or exorcism movies or anything? No, never. They never really interested me until recently. Well, let's go get some breakfast. Then we can watch horror movies all day until sundown. And that's exactly what we did. We sat through countless slasher films, each one bleeding into the next, grazing on cereal and potato chips all day. Once we had our fill of movies, we started discussing where we would visit that night. 
So what about the Dingus Tunnel? It's a one-lane tunnel through a mountain they say is haunted, and sometimes you can hear or see things when you drive through it. Mmm, I don't know. That sounds kind of boring, really. Okay, what about 22 Mine Road? They found this girl murdered there a long time ago, and now they say if you put your car in neutral where they found her body, her ghost will push your car uphill. Now that sounds kind of cool. Do you see her ghost when it happens? I don't know. I don't think I've heard about anyone seeing her. Maybe. After last night, I was kind of hoping for something more exciting. All right, we could try the old church at Paytona. What old church? It was just called the Coal River Church. One of the first coal mines in the area was in Paytona, back before the Civil War, when this was all part of Virginia. Back then, the towns just kind of spread out and grew around mines. And when the mines first opened up around Paytona, the workers came in and communities popped up. And every community needed a church, so they built one out of river rock and lumber and named it Coal River Church. The church also had a living quarters built on for the pastor, and they hired on a sort of Bible-for-hire type, a Pennsylvania Dutch preacher named Rupert Kohler. Things ran pretty smooth for a couple of years, but over time, Kohler's sermons got darker and darker, and the preacher became more reclusive and paranoid. Things were picking up at the mine, and the operations started going seven days a week. One Sunday, as the congregation gathered in the church, enjoying fellowship before the start of the service, Kohler stood on the other side of the door to his pastorium, eavesdropping, convinced they were talking about him. He snuck around the back door, went around and barricaded the front door, and threw a torch through one of the windows. He stood on the lawn and watched the church burn to the ground, killing everyone inside. When the fire had burned down to smoldering embers, he threw a rope over a branch of the tall oak tree out front and hung himself. When the mine bosses and lawmen realized none of the workforce had shown up for work the next day, they found the preacher hanging in front of the ashes of his church with the smoking skeletal remains of the community inside. They decided to leave the church and abandon the mine and move their operation and community a few miles away, but the foundation of the church still exists in the woods near Paytona. And they say you can hear the screams of the congregation as they burn alive, can feel the warmth of the fire, and see the preacher hanging from the old oak tree. They say if you take a Bible with you, you can feel the preacher's hand on your shoulder and his breath on your neck. Wow. Right? Well, I think we may have a winner. If we leave now, we should get there just after sundown. I want to go. Violet, stay out of my room. No, I want to see Nita. She's my friend, too, not just yours. Vi, we are going on a long, boring drive, and there probably won't be any cell phone service or Wi-Fi or anything. It's just a boring trip for old people, but I promise we can hang out later, okay? Okay, fine. But next time Nita comes over, she's hanging out with me. Whatever, you little twerp. Just get out of my room, and don't tell Mom where we're going, and I'll give you a dollar. Okay. We took Mrs. Holt's car again and headed to Paytona. Finding the area where the church was took some digging, since Miranda had never really actually been before and it was down some back road that hadn't been paved in decades. Once we reached the end of the road, we parked the car and hiked into the woods. It was already dark at that point, but the moon and stars were bright and the sky was clear. Miranda and I stayed close locked arm in arm with the flashlights on our cell phones helping to light the way. (gasps) We heard a strange sound and spun, but we just missed getting a clear view of whatever had made that noise. What the hell was that? I don't know. Maybe an owl? I don't think so. That, or it was the biggest owl I've ever seen. How many owls have you seen? What? How many owls have you seen... In your life, with your own two eyes. I don't know, like two? They had a raptor exhibit at school that one time. Miranda, that was in the third grade. Look, it doesn't matter. I know what an owl looks like, and I know that wasn't an owl. Miranda's voice was drowned out by a high-pitched whine that was almost deafening. I fell to my knees, covering my ears and squeezing my eyes shut. But it didn't help. The whine just grew louder. I'm sure Miranda was freaking out, but the whine was all I could concentrate on. I thought my eardrums might burst. 
I thought my mind would snap like a twig, and just when I couldn't bear it anymore, it stopped. I opened my eyes, but I wasn't where I had been. I was in the woods, sure, but not the same forest. That much I could tell. It was late in the fall now, all the trees barren, while they had been mostly full of browns, oranges, reds, and yellows just a moment ago. It was daylight now, too, and I was in a clearing. Ahead of me I could see a small group of about four people, but I couldn't quite make out who they were. They were just vague shapes ahead of me. Off in the distance past them, in detail, I could see a mountain with an old mine entrance carved into the front. The entrance was caved in, but there were flames and smoke pouring from the mountain. I felt a heavy feeling like an impending, inescapable doom. A warbling noise came from behind me, and I turned to see what it was, and my entire field of vision turned black. All I could see now were a pair of red lights, almost like perfectly round tail lights. The whine returned, and I closed my eyes only to open them again back in the woods near Paytona next to Miranda. Nita, are you okay? Y yeah I think so. What happened? What do you mean? Why are you asking me? We were just talking about owls, and you just dropped to the ground and stopped responding. I thought you were having a heart attack or something. No, I'm fine. I just... I don't know. I, I think I saw something. Like what? I'm not really sure. It's almost like a vision, maybe? I don't know how to explain it. Is this some kind of Native American vision quest thing? I'm not Native American. I thought your mom was Apache or something. No, she was Cherokee. Maybe. A little, I don't know, my dad doesn't really talk about it much. But this was not a vision quest. It was like a dream. It was vague in ways and detailed in others. Maybe we should just go home. No, I said I'm fine. Let's just go. I want to do this. All right, if you're sure. I stood up and like I had told Miranda, I was fine. But I felt like my head was in a fog. I knew what I was doing. I knew what was happening around me, but it was almost like my brain was processing everything in slow motion. I shook my head and took a few deep breaths, and the feeling went away. Miranda and I continued our hike through the woods for a few more minutes. This area was ominously quiet, even for this time of night. I could still hear some bugs and birds, but they were all off in the distance. About five minutes after my episode, we found ourselves standing next to a pile of old rotted railroad ties and iron spikes on the edge of a small clearing in the woods. A large dead oak tree sat in the middle of the clearing, big enough around that I doubted Miranda and I could wrap our arms around it together. Next to the tree was a pile of iron and wood scraps, old and rotted. What is that stuff? It looks kind of like, I don't know, maybe they used to be wagons? Okay, yeah, there's an old wagon wheel here on the bottom. The mining company really did just leave everything behind. Yeah, I'm surprised no one's messed with any of this other stuff over the years. It's just been sitting here and wasting away for almost 200 years. That's so weird. There's no way we're the first people to come here. No, I've heard about this place for years. There have definitely been other people here. Do you feel anything strange? No, not really. I mean, this is creepy. But it doesn't really feel anything like the Hoffman place. Well, let's check out where the church used to be. We walked deeper into the clearing, to a stone wall that stood about two feet off the ground. The wall traced the foundation of the old church, which was small compared to most of the churches I had seen, even growing up in the middle of nowhere. The pastorium, as Miranda called it, was essentially the size of a small one-room cabin, but the thing that stood out the most in regards to that area of the foundation was that 
despite the fire and nearly 200 years of time, the floorboards were still intact. They were covered in dirt, foliage, and vines, but they were the last wooden remnants of the church still standing. I kicked around at the debris and something caught my eye. Carved into the wooden floorboards was some kind of writing. Miranda and I cleared off the floor as best as we could and shined our lights on the writing. What does that say? For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on this day must be put to death. Whoa, isn't that from the Bible? Yeah, I I think so. You think that's why the preacher burned the church? I mean, I think the guy just went crazy. But if he really believed what he was preaching, I guess it might have had something to do with it. They started mining coal on Sundays not long before this happened. I mean, I can see the logic. It's a leap and a huge one, but I can see how a crazy person would connect those dots. Crap, my battery's dying. Quick, take a picture of this. Got it. And now my phone is dead. Great. Do you have another flashlight or anything back in the car? Of course not. Well, do you, like, feel anything here? Not really. It's kind of creepy, but this is nothing like the Hoffman place. At that exact moment, something came crashing to the ground behind me. I turned, but in the darkness, it was hard to see anything. Miranda and I locked arms our go-to move at this point, and ventured toward the dark shape twenty feet ahead of us. It's just a tree limb. Probably fell off that dead tree up there. Yeah, I guess so. Um, well, should we uh, maybe head back to the car? Yeah, I guess. As we turned to walk back, strange flames shot up all around the perimeter wall of the church, shooting twenty feet high. We gasped and stopped dead in our tracks. The flames died back down almost instantly, but not before illuminating a figure beyond the church's foundation. A figure whose feet dangled five feet off the ground, swaying back and forth, hanging from a rope by the neck. Oh my god. Is that- Kohler. And just as quickly as he had appeared, he was gone again. The clearing was quiet again. The flames dissipated, and Miranda and I stood there, arm in arm, too afraid to move. A shiver went down the length of my spine, but it urged me to move. Tentatively, I took a step forward, pulling Miranda along with me. I made a wide berth around the foundation careful not to get too close in case the flames returned. We started to walk faster, anxious to leave this place. The foundation behind us, we had another 20 feet to the tree line. Repent! We stopped dead in our tracks, both too terrified to move forward or look back. I felt a warmth on my back and could just make out the faintest sounds of screaming and moaning. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. The screams and the sound of the flames crackling grew louder and we turned slowly. The church was there, not just the foundation, but the whole building fully engulfed in flames. Kohler stood on a wagon by the tree, tying a slipknot in a long piece of rope. He stopped for a moment, looking up directly at us. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? I felt a pit in my stomach, and I knew I should run. I knew I should sprint for the car and never look back, but I was transfixed on Kohler. He stepped down off the wagon, holding his noose, and began to slowly walk toward us. Miranda was the first to snap out of it and started tugging at my arm, 
trying to get me to move. Finally, I turned to her, and the pleading look in her eyes suddenly made me hyper-aware of the danger we were in. We ran, feeling the heat of the flames behind us. I don't know if it was a rock, a root, or what, but the next thing I knew I was falling. I hit the ground hard, the wind knocked out of me. I could see Miranda ahead of me as she kept running, too scared to realize I was no longer with her. I gasped for air, and finally my lungs began to work again. I felt an intense heat around my ankle, like someone had taken a white-hot branding iron to skin and screamed in pain. I looked down, and the that was Kohler knelt down, hand gripping my ankle and pulling me toward him. He threw the noose and it slipped over my head and around my neck. He let go of my ankle but yanked on the rope, dragging me by the neck through the dirt and leaves. I kicked, I flailed, I pulled at the noose around my neck, but it was all to no avail. I was going to die, chasing after ghosts, something I didn't even believe existed this time last year. But then, the rope went limp, and though it was still tight around my neck, it was no longer crushing against my windpipe. I scrambled to my feet and felt Miranda grab my arm and pull me as we ran from the clearing. We ran in the dark, branches scratching at any bare skin not covered with clothes, and the sounds of the dead grew more distant, and we no longer felt the warmth of the astral flames at our backs. We made it to the car and frantically climbed in. Miranda driving away as fast as she could, a cloud of dirt rising behind us. I finally managed to pull the noose from around my neck, gasping in large gulps of vanilla-scented air from the blue tree air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror. Are you okay? Yeah, I, I think so. Good. We drove the rest of the way back to Miranda's house in silence. Her parents and Violet were already asleep by the time we got there, so we crept into the bedroom as quietly as possible. Jesus, Nita, you look awful. I looked in the mirror hanging from Miranda's bedroom door. She was right. My clothes were filthy and covered in dirt and grass stains from being dragged by Kohler. There was a raised red welt around my ankle where he had grabbed me, and there was a rope burn on my neck. A little makeup and a turtleneck and sweatpants covered most of that up. I've been wondering, why did Kohler stop dragging me? How did I get away? I threw one of these at him, and he just kind of disappeared. Miranda pulled a few of the iron railroad spikes from the front pocket of her hoodie. I inspected one of them. There was nothing remarkable about them. No writing or markings on them. They just looked like oversized nails. Yeah, I guess they're just magic ghost repellent spikes or something. I've got a whole pocket full of them. We can take them with us for protection next time. Next time? Well, yeah, I kind of figured we'd do this again. Miranda, I almost died. Yeah, but now we have these spikes. I'll have to think about it. Yeah, I understand. But the truth was, I felt even more of an adrenaline rush during this hunt than at the Hoffman place. This was quickly turning into an addiction for me, and I knew it was just a matter of time before we found ourselves somewhere dark and secluded again, facing down with another grim specter from the past. Dreams and visions seem to be spreading around these hollows like some kind of virus. But what does it all mean? Now that Nita has come in contact with those from the other side, will she be taking a break from ghost hunting? Or will her close encounter only spur her to dive deeper into this new world? We will be hearing from her again, but that's all the time we have this week. We want to thank you again for tuning in. 
We'll be back with more stories to delight and chill you on Monday, January 30th, 2023. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of our wonderful voice actors, not only in this episode, but in every episode so far. We're a small, independent operation here, and we work with a lot of people who haven't dabbled in the world of voice acting much before. But the voices you hear on this show are all authentically West Virginian, and they all do a fantastic job bringing our stories to life. We'd also like to take a moment to plug the Chat from a Hat podcast, hosted by Caleb Luther, who provides our outro music, along with his friend Josh Brown. If you're into pop culture and listening to a couple of Wife Tong... If you're into pop culture and listening to a couple of longtime friends shooting the breeze, I highly recommend it. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. If you've got the means and want to help our show, you can visit anchor.fm slash deephollowspod slash support to donate to the show. If money's a little tight, we understand, and you can still help us by leaving a rating or review or by sharing the podcast with everyone you know. If you'd like to stay up to date on the latest news out of the holler, be sure to follow us on both Facebook and Twitter. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to submit either a story or an audition for our consideration, you can email us at deephollowspod at gmail.com. Between what lurks in these hollows and what festers in the hearts of men, it's a dangerous world out there. So stay safe until we meet again. This has been a production of Dark as the Horizon Media. Mud Mountain Part 2 was written by John Adkins, featuring the vocal talents of Nate Tatum as Clarence Rice, Trisha Adkins as the waitress, Greg Adams as Deputy Morton, Brandy Runyon as Nancy, and Travis Ingram as Kevin Mead. Desecrated Grounds was written by John Adkins, featuring vocal talents of Hannah Harvey as Awanita, Jillian Tate as Miranda, Caroline Adkins as Violet, and John Adkins as the Ghost of Colbert. Our theme song is by Odie and I. You can find their music on Spotify, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud. Our outro music is by Caleb Luther. You can find his music, as well as his band, Meet Me in the Matinee, on Spotify, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud as well. Our artwork is by Nate Tatum. You can find more of his work at Rainbow Bear Store on both Facebook and Instagram. I've been your host, John Adkins.